I always hire a quarterback first. So okay. the CEO or the president, that person's going to run it. They're the ones that I'm going to entrust them fully. That's their business. They're going to either have some equity in it for the most part. They're going to have some type of salary. And that's going to be the person that's all in. I have to do that, one, because I'm going to a bunch of different companies. But two, I can't run it fully. I'm not going to be part of the day-to-day. If they don't trust that I trust them, they're not going to run it fully. Your business is not a pyramid. It's a round table where every voice should matter. You're listening to the Culture Camp Podcast, where we believe that if you build your dream team, anything is possible. Tune in each week to hear from an amazing lineup of athletes, CEOs, founders, and more who have created winning cultures in their organizations. Each will share the secrets to creating a culture in your business that will lead you to thrive. Here is your host, Jason Haugen. Welcome to another episode of Culture Camp with Jason Haugen. Hey, I appreciate everybody listening in on this. I got an awesome guest. I got Dan Fleischman. I appreciate you being on, Dan. This really means a lot. You're taking the time. It's crazy right now. This is the first time we've ever taken the uh, podcast on the road. We are at the Grand America at almost midnight. And Dan just flew in. I really appreciate you being on here again. Dan is the youngest person ever to take a company public. He's an angel investor in 37 companies. He spent $60 million on influencers. He has a new company. Um, relatively new called Cards and Coffee. They've done 18 million in in 12 months, and they have six locations soon to be. I heard a seventh location, an eighth and ninth, an eighth and ninth. Wow, it's just growing, man. Hey, I really, really appreciate you being on here and taking the time. It really means a lot. Happy to be here. One thing I want to ask, man, you're just super interesting. I really feel like you're one of the interesting people, one of the most interesting people um, I've met. And the thing I really like about you is you are very. You know, you come off just a super chill guy. When I, I don't know if you remember meeting me or we met the first time at Keaton's house when we had a $1,000 tip dinner. You just we just had a conversation, just kind of talked. And then, you know, you invited me to Wags uh, a Poker Night. And I'm like, man, that dude is just a really, really nice guy. And I've heard a lot about him. And, you know, when you first hear about somebody, you, you kind of question, like, hey, how are they, any, especially the pedigree that you have, yeah, like, how are they going to be? And it really means a lot that you're a really nice, like, really great person. One thing I want to talk about is, you know, going back to what I just said in your bio is the youngest person to ever take a company public. That's huge. How old were you when you did that? 23. 23. Explain to me or like describe how that was. Did you get to go ring the bell at the New York York Stock Stock Exchange? So we did it through reverse mergers. We bought a publicly traded company. Okay. Uh, It saves you two years and $2 million. Right. Time. It takes about six months instead of two years. And so no, we didn't go to the, I didn't ring the bell. Right. Okay. Uh, But our company was listed for half half a decade. Wow. That's awesome. So what kind of going back before that, before your younger days, what made you start, you know, into the business world or, you know, growing up? Like how, how was that? Uh, so in high school, I was just working three jobs to save up money for college because we couldn't afford college. And that was my only shot. And then when I was 17 and a half, we started a clothing company called Who's Your Daddy? Okay. Uh, we trademarked the catchphrase, Who's Your Daddy? For really? hundreds and hundreds of products. But clothing was our main focus. Right. So we had it for barbecue sets and diapers and food products and beverages. But clothing is what we sold. Uh, at 18 years old, we went to a convention in Vegas called Magic. And we did a million dollars in orders. Wow. Sounds cool, except we didn't have a manufacturer to make a million dollars in orders. And we didn't have Ouch. the 500K it takes to manufacture a million dollars in orders. So things got real, really quick. Went on the hunt, found manufacturers, went literally door to door. Downtown LA, found a warehouse, found a manufacturer. I'm still friends with 20 years later. Nice. So we wrote a million dollars in orders. Next year, we did $9.5 million in licensing deals with Starter Apparel in the UK. And then we started getting into a lot of department stores, six major department stores in the US. 23 years old is when we took it public under the same brand name, but for energy drinks. 
Okay. So we still had, we're licensing the name for different products, but we're focusing on energy drinks now. From 23 to 27, we just didn't sleep. And I knocked on every door and got us into 55,000 retail stores in America wow. and 6,500 overseas. Our biggest distributors were actually here in Salt Lake. We had all nine Budweiser distributors in Salt Lake. Really? We were the main sponsor of the Utah State Fair. Imagine Utah, Mormon country. Right. To have an energy drink uh, as the main sponsor. <laughs> Doesn't really uh, yeah. vibe with that. Yeah, it was fun. We had a two-year deal and the billboards had a corn dog and an energy drink on it. That's cool. Really fun. Anyways, so did that for four years. Now, in the 10-year anniversary of starting when I was in high school, 10 years later is when I resigned so I could start another company to put another feather in my cap. I started an online poker site. Brought on Dan Bilzerian, DJ Steve Aoki, Playboy Playmates, and tried to be the cool poker site. Right. Uh, within 10 weeks, we were live. Within 10 months, we were the top five poker site in the world. Again, wow, sounds cool. And then two years later, pff, April 15th, Black Friday. All of online poker shut down in America. Dang. It's over. It was a $65 million company overnight. Eh. And right. I realized I never want to have all my eggs in one basket ever again. Right. So I started a social media agency. I started angel investing. I started consulting. I started speaking. I started throwing my own events. And so that terrible business tragedy moment of losing this huge company overnight actually set me up for the rest of my life, which is the butterfly effect of, I wouldn't have been an angel investor in all these companies. I wouldn't have created all these jobs and thrown all these events and introduced all these people if it wasn't for that business tragedy of losing that company. And so I don't regret it. I don't know. I'm not sad about it. And then after that, uh, now I was basically throwing mastermind events and angel investing and card stores and acai bowls and right. too many things. All, to go kind, all yeah, kinds lots of stuff. Fun investments. So going back to the gambling company that you, that, you know, the April 15th, you said yep. lost. I've heard an interesting story. And what really made me like, like you even more, because I, I don't really care about money. I, I, I've been around a lot of money. And when I talk about money, I'm in a lot of money. And I, so I really don't care about it. It really means nothing to me. Like how you are and who you are really matter the most to me. And I've met a lot of people who had a lot of money and I wouldn't really ever care to be around them again. And I've met a lot of people with no money and I love to be around them. And I let up, a, I met a lot of people with a lot of money and love to be around them. And I've, you know, talked a lot about you because I'm just, I mean, you're a really interesting guy to me because you've done all these things. I've done a lot of, you know, I guess, quote unquote research, but I'm just very like interested in what you've done. I heard there's a story and I want you to elaborate on it of a story of integrity with your, your gambling site and, you know, everything that happened with that about, you know, you versus everybody else. Can you, you know, elaborate on that? I've heard it's a very interesting story. You know, they, this person wanted to tell me about it, but like, Hey, just ask Dan. And what happened? So April 15th is when Black Friday happened, which was online poker shut down in America. My competitors were shut down by the FBI. I wasn't. I actually really? was still, I could have kept going. Really? But I don't want to get the knock on the door from the FBI one day, whether I did something wrong or didn't. Right. They could go after me because I'd be by default the biggest poker site in America. Right. And so I had to think about what do I do here? Because now my competitors are all dead or in jail. Like literally FBI really? seized their accounts. Wow. These are multi-billion dollar companies, poker stars, full tilt. These are massive companies. Right. And so I'm just a little engine that could. That's all of a sudden in this scenario. And to me, it wasn't an actual decision. I, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I'm going to pay back every single player. I didn't trust what the government was going to do. And I want to make sure that I could sleep at night. I want every player to get their money back. And I had already heard just from calling and freaking out, like what, what's going right. on in the industry. I heard that they were not going to be able to pay the players back because the FBI seized all of their money, not just their business money, but the players' funds. So I manually paid back 41,000 players in the wow. next few days. Imagine, this is a decade ago. Right. It's not that easy. It's hard to do it now. Right. Actually manually paying people back back then. Right. And so I started doing interviews and radio shows and ESPN and local papers and email blasts and tweets. There wasn't Instagram back then. Like I was just like, right. hey, everybody, withdraw your money so I can send you your money back. Right. So I can sleep at night. So 
So on the fourth day, we got everybody that paid back. And four, you did that, you 41,000 people in four days. Yes. Wow. For the most part, people knew to withdraw. So we right. were like emailing and texting, like calling, like doing whatever we could, posting, sending notifications. If people try to log in, we're like, uh-uh, withdraw your money. Where our competitors weren't. Some of them didn't ever get paid back. Some of them took them half a decade. And so to me, there was no other decision. Some other sites just kept the money and said, hey, the government took it. That was lying. And now they're dead or in jail. And I wanted to be able to walk in any casino and not worry about someone being upset with me. And I've watched it happen with Full Tilt. You know, some of those guys go to a casino and people you know, throw bottles of soda at them because right. they literally not necessarily stole the money, but didn't do what they could have done correctly. Right. And so to me, it wasn't a decision. It was just do the right thing. Oh, that's huge, man, because I know, I mean, that's a lot of money. And that's, a lot of money. that's I mean, you're watching your your account go the opposite direction. You know, all this work that you've you've done and super excited. April 14th, everything's great. You yeah. know, April 15th, it's like, hey, we're going to have to give back, you know, I don't know how much money, but I'm guessing a lot of money, 41,000 people. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I actually have a, a friend, you know, a long time ago that was actually sponsored by Full Tilt and he was explaining to me this just, it was a disaster. And he had won a huge poker tournament in, uh, in Vegas and put a lot of money online and, you know, transferred a lot of that money. And um, he did and not he, get it back. No, no, he's pissed. And he has, you know, very salty about it, but it sounds like he should have been a, been a part of your company. You know, going back to culture and things like, is there a certain, like, how did you even think about that? Like, like, is there someone that you've learned something from that you want to be a good person? Like, is this just you naturally? Because I believe most people are kind of born with that, like it factor or that, that factor that they can just help people. I was called like the intangibles. Like, I can't really teach you how to be a good person. Do you think you were born like that to help people? Cause it's kind of like helping. And I know that you do help a lot of people. We'll get that to the, in a minute, but like, it sounds like it was an e easy decision. Was there someone telling you, hey, you need to do this? Or was it kind of you, I just know I have to do this? So to me, everything's a long game. And doing the right thing is the best thing you can do for the long game. Because if you have something that happens in your past, it will always be around. Right. It will always kind of haunt you. And there's like, what's the example? If I take like a, a big glass of water, right? And I drop a one drop of dye in it, what's going to happen to the water? It's going to turn black. Right. Right. Or if I drop... If, a, if I put a little poop in the water, would you drink it? No. It'd be this big. Absolutely and a not. Big old, right. What if the bowl was this big? Not even in the pool. I'm right. not even going in the pool. Exactly. Even if it's this tiny. Right. And so the concept is the same. Like if you have that one drop of dye, it stains you. And so to me, I would rather lose money or rather cover things in a lot of situations. I've had some serious situations. Right. I've covered a lot of money and a lot of integrity things that weren't my fault that I was still covered simply because I didn't want to have that black stain. Right. And so to me, I don't know if, if I watched somebody or what it was, it wasn't a specific teaching moment. It was just, I know I'm going to be doing this forever because I love the game. Right. And that was the right thing to do. What does integrity mean to you? When you think about integrity and when you're thinking about, is it the forefront of what you do almost every single day of, you know, is this keeping my integrity? Is this not keeping my integrity? Is it a situation like do you believe in like a win-win situation or even, even if it's a lose for you and it's a win for them, is, is that technically a win in your mind? For sure. Again, because I'm planting seeds all over the place, there's a lot of deals that I introduce people and they go off and make millions of dollars or six figures or tens of millions of dollars. I don't think twice about it. I have no resentment to it. I don't think, I don't have in the back of my head like, oh, they owe me a car or a check. doesn't even cross my mind. Right. Unless I said, hey, Jason, meet this person to do a, this transaction specifically for them to put in $4 million into your deal. Right then I could consider that, okay, this is a specific financial transaction. But if I introduce you to the muscle and then two years from now, he puts 4 million into your deal, that's not on right. me. A lot of people think that's for them. Right. A lot of people. And I know that in my heart of hearts that one day Jason's going to remember the 4 million. And one day the muscle is going to think about that. 
they'll remember the introduction and maybe something happens, maybe it doesn't. Right. And I don't mind either way. If I keep planting seeds over and over and over and over and over and I compound it every single day, everything that I do in my life is about compounding. Right. I know that if I just take actions over and over every single day, whether it's relationships, text messages, investments, businesses, sales calls, if I just keep doing these things over and over and over, and you multiply that by 365, and you do it again next year, and you do it again next year, and you do it again next year, all of a sudden you're going to have 37 investments. All of a sudden you're going to have all these different companies. All the, it just compounded over time. I didn't do right. any one deal in one week. No, I think that's super important. There's a lot of people that, that think that they're owed a lot. Yes. And, you know, we got Murphy behind the camera here a lot. And I know, you know, he's my guy. And I know that he does a lot of things for free. And I know that like starting out as an entrepreneur, or business owner, anybody, even if you're just a manager at a McDonald's or something, there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to do off the clock or outside of business hours or different stuff that you're, it's going to be free. You're not going to be paid for but that is compounded over you know time and time again, and people realize that. For me, and I have over two, almost two hundred employees across you know multiple states. I hate when people are like, "Oh, hey, it's you know five oh one, and I'm bouncing out of there." That that means yeah. like, okay, you're not really like you're not here for the extra mile. The people that are staying six, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, they're the ones that are my directors, and they have pretty much you know they're my executive team or directors or manager team, and everybody's always like, "How come I never get never get uh, promoted?" Well. Because you're literally from, you know, you don't even come, you sit in the car at 8.58. You don't even come into work because you don't want to be early. And then you're leaving at 5.01 and bouncing out of there. Like, that's not really what I want. And that's, you know, the company obviously needs more than that. And I, I that goes a lot further. So a lot of people, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, it's, you know, take like take a self-check, like a self-assessment. How am I? Am I that person that that is, uh you know, going the extra mile and doing things for different people? And and really trying to network, like really, and really bringing value. Like the thing that I think that you do is you bring a lot of value to people that you don't expect anything back, but it ends up paying you back a lot in, in the relationships that you cultivate. And I think that's really important. You know, one thing that I do want to ask is when you've created these companies and when you've, you know, you've done a lot, obviously, you know, culture. And then, like this is culture camp. And, you know, we talk a lot about culture and team building. What are the specifics that go into when you're, okay, you're opening up a company, say, you know, you're just opening up that, that, that poker company. What are different things or what are things that you can, you do or like little, you know, tactics that you do to build your team or, you know, what you want your culture to look like, the people that you create or you recruit and things like that? So I always hire a quarterback first. So okay. the CEO or the president, that person's going to run it. They're the ones that I'm going to entrust them fully. That's their business. They're going to either have some equity in it for the most part. They're going to have some type of salary and that's going to be the person that's all in. I have to do that one because I'm going to, a bunch of different companies, but two, I can't run it fully. I'm not going to be part of the day-to-day. If they don't trust that I trust them, they're not going to run it fully. Right. I also have to empower them so that the staff members and other executives and other employees and partners, vendors, relationships, everybody in between, clients, fully respect them and don't want it to be Dan. Right. None of my companies are about Dan, any of them. You believe in putting credibility on and to. running everything through everybody else. I, I scream from the mountaintops about the CEO of my agency the guy that runs my sports card store, the guy that runs Everbowl, like all my investments, I talk about them over and over and over and over and over. Right. It doesn't matter what I do. Right. It matters for the 400 employees working for Everbowl. They need to respect him, not Dan that raised some money for him or invested. Right. The guy running my agency, I want to talk about his 30-year career and how amazing he is. I ran the business for eight years prior to that. He's running it now. Right. I need them to respect him. When I was running by myself, that's different. It's his thing now. When he's all in, I need everybody that works for him to talk to him, the clients, the vendors, the partners, everybody has to respect him. They w- I want them to know about me in the background so that there's some like extra stamp of like approval. Some more on credibility it. on the company right. or whatever. 
so that they don't mess around or mess up or try to do something, you know. But ultimately, from a culture perspective, I have to make everyone involved respect that person. The next thing is, I want them to know how much I care about the business. So I only invest in projects that I care about. Right. I literally won't invest into a company or project that I don't care about, no matter how much it returns. So I'm not doing it for the money part. Right. I know that sounds weird as an investor. I'm not. Because I know over the course of time, if I invest in things that I like, I will get the money part later. Right. Two years, five years, 10 years from now. And when I get it, all I'm going to do is invest it again because I don't buy stuff. What do I care about if more money comes back in? I'm just going to put it back in to other deals. And so for me, it's building up the culture with people knowing that I care about them and the whole project. On the way here, I'm group chatting with my staff. It's two in the morning where they are at the convention. And I'm excited talking to them about t-shirts. Right. So I want them to know that I care about the t-shirts too. No, it's huge. And so you have to make them believe that you care, whether you're selling cars, you're selling t-shirts or blueberries and raspberries. You know, like it doesn't matter what you're selling. They have to think that you care about it. Otherwise, they're not going to care about it. Right. I... uh... 100% agree with that. I I think it's important that people, people have a really hard time, especially when they get a little bit of power or become a manager or business owner of micromanaging people. I think that that like micromanaging is miserable. I hate being micromanaged. Anybody, I don't think anybody likes it. Like, oh, I wake up today and I can't wait for my boss to text me and call me 55 times and just trust me. Um, I, you know, I watched my dad do it. He owned a ton of restaurants growing up. We'd go in the restaurant. He'd be like, the manager start talking to me like, look, I really don't care. There's customers here. We're making money. You do you. I, you don't need to ask me. Like you know, honestly, you know you more know about better. it than I do. Right. Like, I need them to know better. Right. Right. And th- and that just shows you trust them. And and people, do you think that people perform better when they know that you trust them than I guess under fear? What you'd call it? If oh Dan's going to call me t- today, and I wonder what's going on, and even if issues arise, like how do you feel about or how do you react when issues arise? Or hey, boss, we just lost a thousand bucks today, or something just happened, or this happened, or that happened. And let's put the sports card store for example. I have millions of dollars of piece of cardboard. Stuff happens. We're at a convention, the box is missing. Everybody's panicking. I'm like, guys, we're going to call the casino and talk to them about the valet. We're going to call over here and figure out, and we're going to find it. It's going to be in the car. It's going to be in someone's room. We're going to find it. And if we don't find it, guess what? It's one box. We're going to move on. I'm not going to fire anybody over the box. Hey, someone stole this card at our store in New York City. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to fire anybody. Everybody's panicking. Exclamation mark emojis. <laughs> right. Oh my God. If I think that they did something wrong or didn't trust them, then they should freak out. Right. But I'm trying to make it calm. And you can hear my voice. I'm always trying to be calm in the situations, even when there's chaos. Right. Because if I start to be chaotic, then what's going to happen? Right. Everybody right. starts to lose their mind. The boat, they're going to jump off the boat. Right. <laughs> so the captain has to be calm in, in uh, chaotic waters. And stuff happens all the time. As a CEO, your job is to be a professional fire putter outer. Right. Right. There's going to be fires morning, noon, and night. The amount of texts I get every single day with a problem from sports cards to blueberries and social media influencers and everything between is nonstop. Right. All day long. And I just calmly can fix it. And if I can't fix it, okay, we move on. If something happens and someone didn't do this or someone didn't pay this or someone's doing this, it's, it's going to happen over and over and over. And I have the expectation that there's going to be problems every single day. I know mm. looking at my phone, okay. I'm going to get problems texted to me. Most people freak out or they right. think that they're going to have egg on their face. Or that everything's supposed to be perfect. I promise you from the bottom of my heart, every single executive and CEO you look up to has had major losses, major catastrophes, employees left them, employees try to start competitive companies, everything in between. You hear about Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. That's their fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth company. Right. This is not their first besides Zuckerberg and even him with unlimited money has started companies in between that have failed. Right. Over and over and over. A lot. Right. He's acquired huge companies that have failed. Why? Stuff happens. Right. Do we still not respect what zillion dollar businesses these guys have built? Of course we do. Yeah. 
And so I have no fear of messing up or a situation happening. If all of a sudden something happened in here, there's a leak in the plumbing and it started dripping water on me right now, I would keep talking to you and I'd have water in my pants. So what? Right. You just keep going. Right. And so I'm understanding that there's going to be problems all day long within the companies, live events, being at a convention today, people are chaotic oh, about things. Yeah. And so I think the most important thing is to trust and respect that they're going to figure it out and let them know. And so they're not, I want a little bit of fear. So I don't want to be like, oh yeah, I can, I just lost a thousand dollar card. I don't want it to be like, oh, okie dokie. Keep uh, doing it. No, no, no. You yeah. want, if it I, happens over and over, we got to talk about that I want them fear to go try to figure it out yeah. without the fear that they're going to get fired over making a mistake or something happening. Right. How are you, you know, doing that? Is there like a system or like, do people know your expect, do you set the expectation? Hey, like, you know, when I'm hiring you, so say they're right at the beginning and, or you're launching a new card store and it's in a new city. How are you setting that expectation when, is there like a manual? Do you have a manual or you have a, you know, how the, do you do that? The accountability is amongst each other. Okay. And so with every business, I'm constantly creating group chats where they're interacting with other people. Again, whether it's acai bowl stores or it's sports card stores or social media clients, et cetera, I'm putting them together and it creates accountability amongst each other. Because now if you're in the Jacksonville store and the New York store is crushing it, what are you going to do? You better step up, right? Yeah. yeah healthy competition. Right? Jacksonville store starts adding sneakers. Salt Lake City store is like, hey, we want sneakers. I'm causing them to want to level up and it causes accountability. At the booth today at the convention, the first staff member sent in a picture at eight in the morning. We didn't have to start till 8.30 and we don't actually open the show till nine. What happens? Everybody's Everybody jump in the taxis yeah. and go, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's right. accountability amongst each other. So that's not like daddy Dan is like, oh, I'm going to beat you. Like they're the brothers and sisters that are working with each other that we create an environment for them to want to, to win. Right. How, what are some things, because uh, I know personally that this has been really you know tough for me when I've opened up different dealerships in different states and had to create that culture and that vibe across state lines. What are some pieces of advice, you know, not maybe not only you can give me, but the listeners of saying that have may, maybe multiple stores. Cause I actually am, am uh, been, been in talks with, with a person who owns, you know, a business and they're like, we don't want, we don't know whether to go open up another one or go open up one that's bigger and only have like one culture because they like their culture and they don't know if they can duplicate it. So what are some pieces of advice and how have you been able to, to duplicate so fast? I mean, the cards and coffee have exploded multiple different states, multiple locations, you know, crushing it in sales and it's just continuing to grow. How have you been able to do that and duplicating it? So for opening up multiple locations and having the employees want to work in parallel, they're not always going to be collaborative, right? but they will be semi-competitive. And so if you have a, a car dealership here and you have a car dealership over here, Weekly numbers will get people going at it with each other without making it a competition. Right. So it's not like, hey, whichever store does this, I'm going to send you money. It's showcasing, hey, guess what, guys? Congratulations. Our store in St. Louis just did $150,000 in sales. <gasps> guess what? The guys the guys in Arkansas, they just did $400,000 sales. But hell, Salt Lake City did $1 million. You know, like right. now they heard 150 k 400 k and a million bucks over here. 150K boys are not doing 150 next week. I promise right. they're going to do 300. Right. I promise you without any competition because they're just going to try to doggy paddle up, try to catch up with the other cities. But it has to be consistent. For sure. The way I create cultures, I go touch every store. I was in Jacksonville for the grand opening. Right. I'm in Salt Lake City all the time. I fly to New York every other month now. Like I'm there right. touching the stores. Am I there every single day, every week? No, I can't be. Right. And as we go from six stores to nine to 12 to 15, 20, I won't be. Right. I'm still going to touch the store. I will be in every single city for the grand opening. I will be there for any anniversaries. I'll be there for any events. And I'm going to be there. At scale, 
I haven't been to every Ever Bowl. We have 55 locations. Right. I'm not going to be at location number 84 either. In those situations, they are now, it's much bigger than me. It's much bigger than the CEO. It's much bigger than us. It's them as a brand working together. Right. How have you been able to create, you know, with your masterminds? I know that like we can get into masterminds because I know you're crushing the mastermind space. Like you are Mr. Mastermind. You've created a, a like a craze and a vibe behind those masterminds that's been able to be key, you know, that's that's gone across the board. You know, kind of talk about your masterminds and, uh, you know, you have Avengers, right? And you have 100 MME, 100 MME. You've been able to create like a culture behind those masterminds and been able to keep that vibe going and all that. Can you talk about that a little bit? So it all started from free events. So I have an event called Elevator Nights, which I've thrown 48 times for free. Right. No tickets, no sponsors, no sales on stage, just free. And it'll always be free for the rest of my life. And those were 300 to 1,000 person events that I just kept throwing in every city to build relationships and help entrepreneurs meet investors, et cetera. I created the 100 million mastermind experience because I was speaking to everybody else's masterminds and I saw what the members liked or didn't like, what they cared about, what they didn't really care about, what got them excited and what was kind of like, wah, wah, wah. Right. And I just picked and choose from that to make the ultimate mastermind. By doing it, I was going to make the most expensive, most high-end, most ridiculous mastermind in the world. It's $100,000 per person. Right. It's insane thinking about it now. What the hell I was thinking to launch it back in 2019. We sold out in two months. Wow. 100 people at $100,000 each. Shit. Most masterminds take one, two, three years, if ever, to sell out because right. it's a lot of work to sell out even a $25,000 mastermind. The reason for it was the quality of what we were going to do. By the way, we hadn't thrown an event yet. We sold out before. Before you ever did anything. Before we did anything. It's a lot of trust. Yeah, it's huge. People I didn't know. For the most part, I knew some of them, but for the most part, I didn't know them. Right. A lot of them knew my partner, Joel Marion. A huge chunk of them didn't actually know us. I definitely had never been to one of our events because my events prior to that were free. Right. So I looked at how do I create the ultimate experience? That's why it's 100 million mastermind experience. It's actually right. the name that I would create an experience that they would want to pay for such a big ticket amount and come back to over and over and over. Right. And then once I did it and actually threw the first one in LA, Mark Wahlberg and Chris Jenner and Magic Johnson and Dan Bilzerian's mansion and race cars and charity poker. Like now what happens? It was already sold out right. and everybody wants to join. Now you create FOMO for years. Right. For sure. And so as we was going the next year, boom, we get all shut down in America. COVID happens. Right. I'm not throwing the event for a while. And so in that, in the midst of that, I actually created the Avengers because I wanted to create a real estate and investor mastermind. And so it came from a need for myself that I'm never going to invest in real estate myself. I want to co-invest in real estate with guys that are really good at it. Right. So Cole Hatter and Aaron Wagner and Clever Investor and Kent Clothier and all these guys that are really good at real estate. I want to surround myself with them and make them my partners. Bobby Castro has $700 million in apartments. I want to invest alongside him and learn from him. Right. So I created the mastermind. We made it a lower price point. It's at $35,000 and similar concept. There's 174 members in that one now. And that one is half real estate, half investing. Okay. The point of all of it is creating a mastermind, whether it's free, most of them are around the 25K. I think that's the best price point is 25K, 30K right. uh, over the course of a year. We go to three weekends per year. Most masterminds are similar. It's three weekends per year. We do a weekly call every Thursday. We've never missed it besides holidays. Every Thursday where you're doing a Zoom call with the executives or the instructors or we bring on guest instructors. So, so anybody can replicate the masterminds that I'm doing just on a different level based on them. Right. And it's also good if you can do a niche, a marketing mastermind one for ad agencies, one for real estate or car dealership owners. Like when you get to niche masterminds, you do really well because right. someone knows if they spend $25,000 to join your mastermind and meet a bunch of people in that space, they're going to win. So people say, well, how could people afford to pay a hundred thousand for your mastermind? Not one single person is paying or losing money by being in the mastermind. Right. 
Because if your business is doing five, 10, 20, $30 million, and I teach you how to save 1% on your taxes or how to make 1% more per year on the business you're doing, or two or 3% by meeting this person or changing this thing or learning how to sell better or save money, you don't unlearn that on year two, three, four, and five. So if your business is doing $10 million and you save 1%, there's your hundred grand right there. Right. Not once. Now you're saving $100,000, two or $300,000 a year forever. Right. Because you learned that one thing. And so we try to teach a lot of those one things in our masterminds. And for the people listening, you can join or create your own masterminds, even just for free with your friends or people you look up to in your niche. Right. So if you're in car dealerships, find five other car dealership owners and meet up once a month. Right. And just talk through hiring employees. How do I incentivize people? How do I train them? How do I sell more cars? How do I save money on taxes? And you'll find that the other people that own car dealerships, they want to talk to you too. Right. How important do you think it is to get around people that are like-minded or like level you up? There's nothing more important and there's no better fast forward button than people. My cell phone is my superpower. Right. Because I can get reservations at a restaurant or invest into a restaurant or buy a restaurant or sell a restaurant based on who I'm texting. Right. Because of my cell phone. And so as you go out there and meet people at free events, masterminds, business events, online, social media, LinkedIn, or wherever, as you meet more and more people, the access to those people is your fast forward button to success. Right. Because if somebody says, oh, I want to start a beverage company. Oh, okay, well, talk to this beverage manufacturer. Hey, my friend owns this warehouse to do your shipping. I know this ad agency that'll help you do your ads. I know this web designer will build your website. I know somebody who will create your logo for you. Hey, I know four sales reps that actually want to work for you. They used to work for this company. Like, right. I can help you set up your beverage company in an hour from text messages. Right. And so building up your network and building up relationships is the hands down most important thing you could do forever and start early. Right. I mean, it always goes to the cliche where people say your network is your net worth. And I think that that's so true. And I grew up in a very weird, weird childhood. And, you know, I could talk about a lot of these listeners have heard about my, my childhood, but you know, now like we were very hidden, very wealthy family, very hidden from everything. And now like in 20, in 2022, you can't really do that. Like you have to, I was actually in, uh, in the lines in the other day, you know, I snuck into Sean. So I don't know if he's listening, but I snuck in with Ryan Flint, me and him were just hanging out and he, Ryan went to, to speak with them. And Ryan was like, it's not really like who, like everybody says it's, you know, who, you know, and your network is in your worth, but it's really who knows you. And, you know, being unknown is not really a good thing. And really that goes into like your culture and branding and how you are. Cause people want to know, right. People want to go to you and know that you're going to give them value and network, like, you know, your network of who you, who you are. And I think that's super important. Most people like to be hidden. They brag about it. And I'm like, that doesn't really help you at all. Like you really need to be out there, really need to be in front of people. Yep. So what are things people can do besides mastermind? Is there other things that you recommend people to, to learn, you know, how to deal with people and different things like that? It's first following the people on social media that you look up to and respect. So if you like Andy Frisella, or you like Ed Milet, or you like Sean Whalen, or you like The Muscle, or you like Aaron Wagner, whatever that character is that you like or respect or look up to, follow those people and really dive down the rabbit hole of what are they doing? What are they up to? How do they flow? What are they up right. to? Like, how, where are they traveling to? Who else are they re relating to? And you notice that Ed Milet is with this person. Oh, there's Kent Clothier. Maybe follow that person. Start seeing what they're doing on social because that's free. Right. And just kind of consuming that content before you ever buy anything from them or buy their courses or join their groups. There's infinite free content from all these people. And then throw your own event or go attend events that are similar. If you like them so much, go to one of their events, obviously go meet them or go be around the people that are in their world. But immersing yourself into the space. You want to learn about fashion? Go follow Damon John. Go to one of his events or listen to him on YouTube every day and podcast. Right. Immerse yourself into it. And what happens is as you're learning it, it starts to feel a lot less scary. 
start to learn about how to manufacture clothing, it gets a lot less scary. Right. Start to learn about the good, bad things that happen in clothing, it's a lot less scary. And so whatever industry you're interested in, just dive in and start to learn about it and surround yourself with it. As you become more of an expert, everything gets a lot less scary. When someone's very first starting, what is the worst thing they can do? Well, not research. Okay. Because people would just go try to manufacture clothing and they don't realize like, I was 18. I went and tried to make a hoodie and the guy charged me $36 per sample. Jeez. It was, a, I was going to be retailing. No offense, for that, was a, that was a little bit ago. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't yesterday. I was going to be retailing at $39.99. Wow. So the margin on that's not, that's not real life. Right. And I finally found out that other manufacturers, but again, this is before the internet really was, you know, this is 1999. Right. I had to go to other manufacturers and find out, wait a minute, what are you talking about? We make these for $11 and then you wholesale it at 22 and they're going to sell it at 39.99. I'm like, okay. <laughs> then I found out that the other guy that was screen printing was charging us $1.60 per print. And then I met a different manufacturer, the screen printer. And he was like, $1.60? We do it for 65 cents. Right. So all of that could have been avoided if I went and met with other people and met multiple people to pitch me to talk about how much they charge. Right. I would have learned from one of them and said, hey, it's only 65 cents for screen printing. I would have seen the guy that's charged $1.60 and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. The other guys I met with said 65 cents. He would either came down on pricing or I wouldn't have worked with them. All that can be fixed with research. Now, 23 years later, I have Google, I have right. Yelp, I have social media. I can find out anything about anything in minutes. Right. I can become kind of an expert in anything in a couple hours with just YouTube and social media. Right. And so understanding that if you want to dive into something, whether you like watches, cars, makeup, hair, fitness, beauty, or anything in between, go research everything about it and go researching all that industry. You will find out so many things that could help impact your business in advance to save you all those mistakes. So what are some things that you did when you opened up Cards and Coffee Research? I went to over 40 stores before I opened the store. Really? I went and drove... So every store in you when you're going there, what are you doing? I'm buying, I'm asking questions. I'm looking at how do they have the, everything set up? Where's their logo at? Is there an extra employee? Is it just one guy there? Can I see the bathroom? Is the door open, cracked open, or is it closed? Is it sealed? Is it, where's the security cameras at? Is there stuff on the floor? Does it even have an inventory system? Wait, what merchant account is it using? Wow. It's using square. I want to know everything. And I did it to so many stores. I can't even explain. How long did that take you to do that? A month or two. Really? Just, you went all in. Oh, yeah. Once I knew I was going to start it, because Gary Vee is the one that named it. So that's where the idea of where it came from. It just jokingly talked about in a group chat. Once I knew I was going to do it for sure, I just drove around to stores and I just had conversations with them. And I would buy some cards, buy some boxes, open up some packs, ask them questions. And I learned so much about how do they run their business? How long they've been doing it? How much square footage they need? What events did they go to? What conferences did they go to? What are clients coming in that are bringing cards on consignment? Is it a headache? How much should I pay them? Is it 10% or 20%? Right. Should I keep 10%? Wait, should I, is, should, is there a form I should fill out first? Should I make a contract with them? Like, these are all things that are just asking questions I got to learn about. Right. To save me so much time, money, and energy. So when you, when you're, when you've opened those stores, you already basically had the vibe, like you can call it vibe. Like I call it culture and the feeling, right? You know, I totally believe culture is a feeling. And when you go into, you know, one of your cards and coffee stores, it's a feeling. So you already knew that like right at the, before, before you, like you had a plan before you ever opened up like store one yeah. or was it you opened up store one and you've adjusted every single one since? So before I opened store one, I'd already been to so many stores that I knew what I liked and I didn't like. Right. I knew what I hated. And I hated the fact that there was inventory all over the place. Right. So you walk in the store in LA or Salt Lake, you're going to see a really clean cut. You can visually see where all the product is and you're not going to find cars on the floor. Right. You're not going to be stepping over boxes like you do in a lot of these stores. Right. And so I just watched and learned. 
Now, listen, once I opened up store number one, we started figuring out how do we do live breaking? We're opening up packs online. How do we do same day shipping? How do we make it faster? Because it used to take four days, then three, then two, then finally one. How do we get the efficiencies? What do we do with the employees on the check-in, check-out? You know, you're dealing with 24, 26-year-old kids. How do we make right. sure that they check in? They've never de dealt with labor laws. They've never dealt with like right. There's so much accounting and, you know. Anyways, so like store one looks a lot different than store, Salt Lake City store. LA store and Salt Lake City store don't look anything so like So LA was number one. Yeah, then Salt Lake. And then you go look at New York store, completely different, but it's a little machine and does more sales than all of our other stores. Really? It's just a machine. It's very efficient, very small. And they're just pumping out numbers. Really? And then now we open Jacksonville. Completely different look, a whole sneaker wall. And each one, it adjusts and edits as we're learning more and more. The Salt Lake City store, we built and opened in two days. What? We built and opened the Salt Lake City store in two days. The New York store, we went out there the day before and literally built out and decked out really? the walls, inventory. There was not a drop of inventory on the walls the day before we opened New York. Really? In Jacksonville, we showed up at 2.45 p.m. for a 5 p.m. grand opening. There wasn't, a sing there wasn't a single sneaker on the wall or a single product in the glass cases at 2.45 p.m. We had a grand opening at 5 p.m. Really? That's but insane. The efficiency gets better and better and better and faster and faster and faster. As we know, where does all the inventory go? Where are all the systems? How do we have it all in these boxes? So we open up the boxes, boom, these go here. This is football, this is baseball, this is Pokemon. Just, you get more and more efficient as you just do it over and over and over. So how important is it? Because you obviously did a lot of research before you opened up the stores. Mm -hmm. You had a clear game plan, people call it business plan, whatever you want to call it. How important it is, because I hate this. Like a lot of people, they want to be so perfect before they do something that they end up never doing, right. doing anything. Yeah, you want to do your research, but how is it important to just freaking start? Like you just got to do something because that's the only way that you're going to learn. So for both books, I only sign an autograph with three words. Just get started. I wow. never sign anything else. I might put a smiley face sometimes. Right. I don't do anything else besides just get started. Because that whole thing about analysis paralysis, where people just analyze, 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 and then they're paralyzed and never do anything. I always use the example, you know, your uncle's like, yeah, you know what? I was going to do this fishing lures company. I love fishing. And then he brings it up at Thanksgiving dinner and then at Christmas dinner. Right. And then on four years from now at dinner again, and nine years at dinner again, when you could and I could start the fishing lure company tonight. Right. We're just going to register fishinglures.com. We're going to source them on Alibaba. We're going to pay someone on Fiverr to make us a website. And tomorrow we're going to have fishinglures.com. And in a week we'll be shipping. Right. Where Uncle Johnny is going to keep talking about it at dinner for the next 19 years and never actually do it. Right. And so when I say just get started, it's because... You go out there and do the research. The research part takes hours and days. It doesn't take weeks. Right. This is social media, Google. We're in a brand new society now. Right. You can find out anything really, really quickly, good, bad, and ugly. So you go research the things about fishing lures, for example. I can learn a lot about fishing lures and be an expert by this weekend. Right. And on Monday, I'm going to be live. And is everything going to be perfect? No, it doesn't have to be. Right. But I bet you if I do a whole bunch of research this weekend, I'll be way better than all the other fishing lure sites. For sure. Way better. Right. And by just getting started, I'm going to start getting bombarded by people like, hey, I can help you market fishing lures. I'll be an affiliate for you. Hey, you know what? I've been, I love fishing for the last 20 years. I can make video content for you. Hey, you know what? I used to work at an outdoor camping store. I can go work for you. Like just by getting started, I started getting bombarded by employees, sales reps, affiliates, vendors, clients, press. Right. But if I just kept researching and waiting and waiting, waiting. Right. It's like doctors, right? Like if they, if they, if they had to know every single thing, I mean, I really hope that they know every single thing and I hope I'm not surgery one and I'd rather be surgery 1000, but they, they would never graduate if they 
had to have, you know, because everything comes with experience and life comes with experience and business comes with experience. The doctor is actually one of the most interesting things. They typically go through six to eight years of studying. By the time any doctor in the world gets out of their studying after graduates, the things that they learned are mostly outdated. Right. It's crazy. Across the board. Right. And so technology changes and it changes faster and faster and faster. Someone studying right now in 2022, when they graduate in 2030, it's the same. Not we're going to be getting no. surgeries by robots and lasers right. in 2030. You think we're going to have the same simple ways that they're using incisions now? Right. And so doctors are the one of the few categories that you actually really, really want them to go to long, long-form college to learn every detail. Right. But before they ever cut someone open, they're going through a lot of experiments and a lot of testing and a lot of classes and a lot of uh, practice before they ever get to a human body. But the point of it is, if someone then gets out of there and doesn't go open up and actually go to work right away, they're never going to be a doctor. Right. How important is, is it to identify if you are Uncle Johnny that maybe has analysis by paralysis? How important is it for you to say, I'm this personality. I need to go find someone on my team or like I need to go find a team member that is the get it done by tomorrow kind of guy. So that's why I like partnerships and a lot of people don't. If you're an introvert and you partner with an extrovert, it removes your excuse. Right. Most people's excuses, oh, I can't go network or I can't do social media or I can't be on camera. I'm not going to force you to be, you're not going to change right. your stripes. Go get with somebody that will. Go get with a social butterfly that will go out and do those things. If you're not good at sales, go partner with someone. Right. I didn't want to sell memberships to 100 Million Mastermind. I wanted to create the experience, throw these epic events, hire celebrities, put on a show, do all the groundwork and hard work. I partnered with Joe Marion because I knew he was not going to be scared to go out there and do sales on it, even though he's really, 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 really rich. Right. A multi-hundred million dollar company. I knew from a performance perspective, he was going to go do it. He did a hundred sales. I didn't do one call. That's huge. I mean, I, and I agree with you. Like a lot of people do not like partnerships because it kind of complicates things. But at the end of the day, I believe at least, at least for me and what I try to do, at least when I build my team, I try to really play to people's strengths. I don't like make, uh, making people uncomfortable with things because at the end of the day, they're, they're not comfortable with it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to wake up and say, I hate sales. And today I'm going to sell. It like, only complicates things because people lack communication skills. Right. And going back to what you're all about integrity it's really hard to find good people to partner up with. You're always kind of questioning, what is your motives? Why do you need me? Like what, what's going on? And it's really, I, I think there's, there's really good people out there, but and it's a marriage, right? I mean, you really have to fig, figure out if it's going to work for you and complement each other. It's really hard for two of the same personalities and same people to really work, you know, perfectly together. There's a, little, a lot of opposites. So, you know, advice, you know, that I guess you could give when you are looking for someone, I guess is, you know, what? One, you don't need to pair up with someone that's similar to you. You don't need them. It's not the partnership. Because you are that person. Yeah. What, what skills are you going to bring to the table? I, if I already do something, if I'm the executor, I need the visionary. Right. Or if I'm the visionary, I need the executor. If we're two visionaries, nothing's going to happen. If we're two executors, there's no vision. Right. You have to be opposites when it comes to this stuff. And it's really important to, to remember that. Most people form partnerships with people and then they lack communication up front. Right. I'm going to do this and you're going to do this. If you don't say that, you're going to make assumptions about what I'm going to do and I'm going to make assumptions about what you're going to do. Right. And then we're going to have a lot of tension between each other on month three, six, and nine because we both didn't say anything to the other person. And, and so the expectation and communication. I, I always say this and I kind of say it jokingly a lot of the time is, you know, we don't usually go to marriage counseling, you know, me and my wife or whatever, not that we've been, but we don't usually go to marriage counseling if your communication's fantastic. Like I'm not going to the counselor and being like, I know exactly where my wife likes to go eat. I know exactly what she wants you know, once on the menu, I know exactly how, what she wants to wear. It's usually, we don't communicate and we don't know how to, you know, we just scream at each other and we're this and we're that. And, you know, it's really important to set that expectation from the beginning with your partner. 
you know, kind of get it in writing. So you're both not really like a lot of people think of get it in writing for legal reasons, which, okay. Like, yeah, if you ever had to go to court, it's great to have it in writing, but it's great to just set that expectation right now and say, okay, this is what you understand, right? This is what I understand, right? This is your duty, my duty. And this is, we're going to make it work together. Right? So if someone was doing this and someone was starting a team or someone, even if, you know, you're a manager and you're trying to put together a little bit of a team, what would be some first, some really key pieces of advice that you would give them from day one? Like, okay, tomorrow, or I guess it's today because it's past midnight is, you know, this morning at 9 a.m. I'm supposed to start a team. What are some pieces of advice that you would give them? The scope of work is what you're talking about. You're going to do X, Y, and Z tasks, one through five, and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z tasks, one through five. I do what's also called if this, then that. If you do this, then that's going to happen. If I do this, then that's going to happen. And I make those things clear for everyone. And then also having a very clear communication about what our goals are and I don't make them really high. Right. Because if I make them realistic, people are going to actually go execute them. And a lot of people say, oh, if you make your goals like all the way up here and you still get here, you still did great. If you under promise and over deliver or you have your staff under promise and over deliver, they are going to be monsters for you. Right. If I say, hey, listen, I actually did this for my energy drink. I need you to go out there and when we do what's called ride-alongs, you're going to go visit 20 locations. I want you to get four appointments and get one sale. When you drive around, I know you can visit 26 to 32, but I say 20. Right. I know you can get more than four appointments out of 20 places, right? Right. And you definitely better get more than one sale of my drinks because they taste good. Right. People went out there and I had girls, guys, all ages go out there and sell for me. And they would get into 28 to 36 places, set like nine to 15 appointments, get like six, seven, eight sales. And what did they think? Right. I'm a freaking monster. Right. right? I'm crushing it. And all it was is because if I would have said, hey, I need you to go see 40 places and you need to get 20 appointments and you better go get 10 sales. And then they got nine or they got four and they missed it. Right. It would be disheartened. Right. I do that across the board in every business. I want them to hit realistic goals and crush them. Right. If they do that, it's going to incentivize them and they're going to be proud and they're going to tell their significant other and they're going to tell their friend. They're going to talk about how they crushed it at work. Right. If I said, go do 20 and you only got 14, you're not telling your friends. Right. You're not telling your significant other. Right. You're not talking about it because you missed it. And it all starts from the very beginning by making realistic goals that they can hit and having that straightforward communication and then making an incentivize so that they can make money or they can get accolades or they can get incentives or they can be a part of the process. At the card store, for example, we pay a commission on all the sales because I want them to go out and sell. Right. It's not easy to sell sports cards at four in the morning unless you want to. Right. Right. When you're on live streaming. They want to because they're getting bonuses, commissions, and everybody in the group chat's going to be excited if they had a big sale at four in the morning. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing is I'm incentivizing people from the very beginning across all aspects, and I'm having very clear lines of communication across everything that we're doing. Uh, that, that's huge. I think that's super powerful. I think it, they're setting that expectation and what you want and what you want out of them. And, and honestly, like what they want out of you, like, hey, this is what I'm going to do for you. And this is what you're going to do for, for me or for us and setting that expectation Wrapping this up, what what is the biggest lesson that you've learned or hardest lesson you've learned? Like you can so I guess biggest win, biggest fail that or you know, biggest loss that you've had. I mean, the biggest loss was the poker site, because I was and I mentioned in the story about April 15th, April 19th, we were actually going to Costa Rica. I'd already spent sixty three thousand dollars on flights and hotels. Wow. I had models flying in from all over the planet, I had photographers, videographers to do this campaign for this big new investment deal that was already signed. Wow. At a sixty five million valuation. Everything was done. I never even got the What's it called? My mom was calling for two months trying to get the money back from the Gaia Hotel Resort. We were trying to get, we had spent all this money on the resort and that we couldn't even get our money back. We couldn't get money back on the flights. Wow. Three thousand dollars. Flights and hotels for April nineteenth for this multi-million dollar deal didn't happen because April fifteenth was Black Friday. That was the biggest 
financial loss and emotional loss to lose something that was going so well due to our competitors. Right. They got in trouble. I didn't get in trouble. Right. But the scoreboard is a scoreboard. No matter what, the company's over. Right. It doesn't matter how it happened. I can always, I can sit on the floor and cry about it and point at all that they did. It's still on me. God, I think it's so incredible that you recovered. There's no other option. The other option is sit on the floor and cry and then go work at Denny's. Right. Right. Or do what I did. I started doing interviews and podcasts and radio interviews like, hey, guys, withdraw your money. Here's what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. I ended up consulting for four land-based casinos. I got a consulting gig with Morgan Stanley. Wow. Like they all called me because I was the only guy in America that paid everybody back and was publicly talking about the good, bad. I was showing my bank account statements. I was showing <laughs> financial. I was showing, the, I was showing everything. Wow. And by having that transparency, everyone was coming to me. That's huge. And so I think that was the biggest, you know, business loss. Right. As far as biggest win, I mean, I don't know. There's been a lot of exits of companies. This is the funnest one for me is scaling this because I'm I'm in it. I love sports cards. It's right. fun. It's like a, I mean, I know you love sneakers too. Yeah. Sneakerhead. This is the most fun for me. And I'm building it to be the only real national chain store in the space. That's sick. That that's awesome. What are what are some of the biggest, I guess, lessons you've learned opening up stores? Or, or investing in different businesses. It's it's finding people that can execute. Everything else is just talk. And a lot of people waste a lot of time. Right. And so the reason I can open up stores so quickly or Everbowl, they, they open a store every 10 days. We have 293 locations that are paid for. I mean, that is that team is oh, on it. That's, and they're going to get it from 10 days to 8 days to 7 days. Like, we're opening 5 in August. So it's actually less than one every 10 days. Right. It's like one every 6 or something. Uh, my wife loves them. So, so she's, she's Mrs. Everbowl. But so. it is up to the CEOs, the quarterbacks of each of those companies. They're the ones that are crushing it. I just have to put them in a situation to be able to win. Right. I have to give them relationships and marketing and eyeballs. But then they got to take the ball and run with it. Right. The coaches can't go on the field. My job is to be on the sideline. My job is to inspire them, get them good players on their team. I need the quarterback to go win the game. I can't right. score the touchdown for them. Uh, that, that's, that's huge. And it goes back to culture and building a team and how you operate and what you want to do. You know what? Oh man, there, there's, I just like, man, there's so much stuff and I know that we're running out on time and I know that, um, I, you know, it's getting late and I know that I really, really do appreciate. One thing that I do want to hit real quick though, is there's so much more to you than business. And there's so much more to you than, you know, your investments and your, you know, angel investment, 37 companies, all this, you help a lot of people. And I know that for a fact, and I know that you have a foundation called model citizen. Can you just talk about like why you create, why did you create the foundation? Cause you know, a lot of people make a lot of money. They don't have to. And I know from multiple people and kind of even following you and little, little minor interactions, you're trying to put value in so much people and you're trying to help people at a different scale. I guess what motivated you to do that? So I was raising money for a lot of other people's charities. I would throw charity poker tournaments, $165,000 this weekend we raised for this charity and I give it to them. And then Monday rolls around. And then Friday, and then a month goes by, and I just never hear about what happened with the money. Right. And I can't report back to all the people that donated at the charity poker tournament because I just don't know what happened with the money. Not to say they did anything nefarious, but I just didn't know and I didn't hear about it. That happened a lot. Right. And so I want to create a charity that had a very basic, true cause and effect. I'm going to make backpacks with 150 emergency supply items inside, half food and drinks, half clothing, a watch, poncho, sleeping bag, et cetera. And I'm going to give it to homeless people. And I'm going to give it to women abuse shelters and teen abuse shelters and orphanages. And that's it. Wow. And everybody that's going to try to change it or tell me what to do differently for the last decade, I've never changed one thing. In the last 10 years, I make backpacks for the homeless, right. 150 items inside, and give it out to homeless shelters, women abuse shelters. That's it. Wow. Because I know if anyone donates, and for the most part, I don't even go raise money. I just donate myself every year because I just care about what I'm doing with it. Right. When I go do that, I know if I give someone a backpack full of supplies, it's not going to change their life forever. But it's going to give them a fresh start 
We're going to have food and drinks for a month or so. We're going to have supplies that they can use for years, cleaning supplies, the sleeping bag, et cetera. And this is all practice to me for my ultimate goal, which is I want to figure out and I want to be able to get people around me that are really wealthy to fix the two basic things, which is food and shelter. The water part is getting fixed. Right. There's great charities like Charity Water that are going to fix the water situation. That is very fixable. Food to me is extremely fixable, especially with how many humongous conglomerates that are out there that have infinite money. It's very fixable and we do not need massive amounts of money to be able to actually fix the food situation. We need the food companies to fix the food situation with their right. surplus. Really easy to because do. Because they throw away a lot of food. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. Right. And it was, by the way, it's illegal for most restaurants to give away food to homeless, by the way. I think that's so, that's annoying. On that's every, ridiculous. On, on, on every level. Yeah. That... And then on the other reason, part I'm practicing for is shelter is very fixable. And so I'm practicing the last decade on my charity with dealing with throwing all these events, raising capital, having 501c3, having execution, like understanding, learning all the aspects of it and what makes and triggers people to want to donate and make them actually write a real check. And practicing all those things for my end game, which is to make my friends and my followers and people I don't know and strangers really, really, really rich because we have to do it privately. I don't trust the government to help because of all the red tape. Right. If I want to go build right now an apartment building for homeless people, it would take me years of red tape. Oh, yeah. So I have ways that we can do it privately that I don't have to do with the government for those things. And I'm not saying it to the government like, oh, screw the government. I'm saying because they just have so much red tape and bureaucracy. Right. And same thing on food. I have very clear ways that I'm learning over and over and over and making all these relationships on how to fix the food situation first in America and then globally because we have to fix home first. And so this is practice to me. I incorporate charities into everything that I do. Every business that I have, the sports card store, three months into it, we gave away a quarter of a million dollars to charities. Wow. My Everbowl, we have charity events all the time. My private events, my birthday parties, everything, all of them have a charity component. Not because I need people to donate to the charity. I don't even pitch for that. I want them to go replicate it. Right. You don't need to donate to me to make a backpack. You can make a backpack with supplies. Right. You can make a Ziploc bag with supplies. You can make a better backpack with supplies. You don't need my backpacks. Right. I want you to go make backpacks in Philadelphia and Montana. Right. In El Salvador. My goal is to create all these charity events. I throw Thanksgiving food drives, rent it out SoFi Stadium to do the biggest toy drive ever. Like I'm doing those things. So you go do a toy drive. Right. You don't need to come to my toy drive. For sure. You don't need to come to my Thanksgiving food. You can make Thanksgiving food. Right. My goal is to make all these things. And I post about charity all the time so people can go replicate it. Right. It's just like when you're, you know, a thousand dollar tip dinner. A lot of people like miss, I guess, perceive that on social media. Like, oh, they're just, you know, they're posting these thousand dollar tip dinners, you know, to brag. No. And, and I saw an interview that you did. I can't remember what I saw, but you were like, no, 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 you're missing the point. The point of us posting about it is for, to inspire people to Absolutely. do them because there are a lot of posts on social media, but how much, are, how much are not posted on social media? And you've created, I think you even use the analogy. Maybe I can't remember where you, you know, you a pebble in the, the pond and it creates a ripple effect and across the United States. I mean, you're like, I don't care who you are. I mean, you know, you give someone $10,000 tip, you know, I mean, that, that changes lives. Well, $1,000 tip, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely goes a long way. It all stems from being a $100 tipping dinner. And that's where people are replicating us all over the country. Right. And it's much bigger than us. People doing the tipping dinners in random cities, they have no idea who I am or Jimmy right, Rex. where is. it came from, yeah. Yeah, it Jimmy came Rex from, created it. Right. I didn't create it. Right. Well, I just helped popularize it. Right. Whether you do $100 or $20 or $1,000, I want you to go do it. Right. Just, I want people to go copy it. And it's worked. The, the proof is in the pudding. There are hundreds and hundreds of people that we know of that are doing tipping dinners. Right. I don't know them all. I'm not tagged by all of them. I don't see them all because they don't need to tag me. They don't know me. Right. That's the whole concept of all these charity things. You do a Thanksgiving food drive. You do a toy drive. You do a tipping dinner. I want you to go copy me. I don't need any accolade. I don't need to know who I am. 
I want you to go give that food out and go get that money out and go inspire other people to do it. Uh, that's huge, man. I, and, and I appreciate you doing that because it, it's definitely, you know, me personally, I know some of the people that you've actually done it to and, or been a part of, or down in Salt Lake or whatever. I mean, one of them was college student. I think they gave like $7,000 and I saw him, you know, I'm friends with her on Facebook and she's just losing her mind, like crying and paid off, you know, some debt and stuff like that. I mean, that, that, like literally, and that goes a long way. Maybe she does something with it. Maybe she goes, hey, I'm going to do my own thing. Maybe it's at a smaller scale, like you said, 50 or hundred bucks. Yep. But, you know, you still can help somebody and still can get, I don't think that there's really got to be like people kind of, oh, I want to help people, but I don't have a million bucks. You don't need a million bucks. Oh, so you can I'm go sure just make PB&J sandwiches and go give them out. Like you can do different things to help people or you can do a coat drive with your family. Like people, especially in Utah, we got some big families. Like, hey, any coats that your kids aren't having, go give them away. I mean, people can do good they just like like you said before the people just have to start and do it like just get started it, that, that's huge i know we'll wrap this up one last thing that i want to ask you and i ask everybody this is success is what to you what does success mean to you freedom what about freedom i can fly here at 11 30 at night and come do a podcast with you in a hotel room and then tomorrow morning speak an event and then at 3 p.m go fly to a wedding it's freedom i could do none of it or i could do all of it and i have a choice to do all of it no i love that and I definitely, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I definitely think success is and freedom to, to basically, like it doesn't really mean, like when I love that you just said this and I, and I want people, to, I really want to push this home is it, you never said a dollar amount, like, and you never really said how you're going to get to places, but it just means what you want and truly makes you happy. I, I, I think that a lot of people misconceive of success is going oh, to make me happy or, you know, I've seen a lot of people that have a lot of money that I, I think are successful or more people think their money successful and they're miserable. They're depressed. Yeah. And, I love that, man. I, I and, and again, hey, I really, really appreciate you being on here. It means the world to me. I know it's super freaking late and you had a long day today and a long flight you just got off of. Dan, where can people find you at? Social media, where you at? Uh, so all my social media platforms are the same. It's just at Dan Fleischman. And this is also a thing you guys should do. You should have the same bio, same photo, and the same screen name across every platform to make it easier for people to find you. Awesome. Hey, you heard it from Dan. Again, Dan, I appreciate you so much and uh, we will see everybody around. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Culture Camp Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating on your podcast player and share this episode with your team.